0: For those who are watching and listening electronically, I am Marvin Thomas, um, in for Pastor John, who tried to headbutt a 100-year-old oak tree. (laughs) Now, I've known some hard-headed pastors in my life, (laughs) but none who would would try to butt a year-old oak tree. But we're glad you're here tonight. We're glad that you're um, recovering and, and we know that God has His hand on your life. And it's a real pleasure to, to help and to stand in for you. It's a real honor and a pleasure to be here. <clears throat> if I can keep my composure, I'll be okay, I think. <laughs> Sunday a week ago... June the 25th, Jeannie and I went to visit Pastor John and Lily in the hospital. On our arrival in John's room, quiet, meek, little Jeannie, spoke up uh, and quoted and said that that the elders of the church call for the, uh, the Bible calls for the elders of the church to pray for the sick. And she said, we're about as old as it gets around here. Recently, I saw a a newscast that South Korea adds a year to a person's life at birth. kind of makes sense to me. So, if I add nine months in the womb to my age that makes me 80 years old to the day, in 80 years on my birthday, I'll be 81. (laughs) I'm catching up with my brother who's 10 years older than me. Being old has many distinctions, some good, some not so good. For years, I've attempted to cram as much knowledge of the living God into the empty cavity between my ears as possible. Many times when in my conversation these days, I go to review some of the information, retrieve some of the information stored in the file cabinets of my mind and can't remember which one I put it in. So if I go into a long pause, you will know I'm searching through all the file cabinets between my ears looking for some information. I know I put it there somewhere. It's kind of like looking for the keys that you've lost in the house. On a more serious note, there are a couple of things that chaff my hide. As Gene Autry or Roy Rogers might have said, Actually, I think it was John Wayne who might have said that. I was thinking about this today, Dave, since you are a John Wayne fan, that there are people today who don't even know who John Wayne is. And what a sad story. (laughs) My six-month-old great-grandchild is going to grow up and not know John Wayne. One of the things that chaffs my hide, is a statistic that I find particularly troubling these days. It states that the church's graduating youth are not continuing church attendance after graduation and their emancipation. There's something terribly wrong with that stat. Today, within the culture beyond the church, there is a lot of talk or use of the word ideology. A concept, if applied to the gospel, will have the effect of diluting the reality of God. In nearly eight decades of life, I have witnessed a departure from a generally held belief in God to a religion of man-made ideas. Back in the 50s and the late 40s, even into early 60s, there was a general consensus, I think, in the country where people whether they were Christian or not, whether they were professing to know God or not, believed that there was a God and that the Bible was His Word. But I think the country has departed from that. So tonight's message is titled, Jesus Made Real. This is, uh, and our text is going to be John 20:29. 20, it's a res- resurrection scene where... Where uh, Jesus is talking to John, the Baptist, John uh, Thomas, the doubting Thomas. I shouldn't have trouble remembering his name. I mean, since, since he's a distant kin. But anyway, Jesus was saying to Thomas, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." John twenty twenty nine. Thomas is known as the doubter because he would not believe the reports that Jesus had risen from the grave and was appearing to others, even though he was present when Jesus called Lazarus from the grave. Amazing to me that John had, that Thomas had a problem when, when he had witnessed Lazarus coming forth from the tomb. His doubts raises what I think is a legitimate question. What is real? How do we know what is real? As human beings, mere mortals, what we generally accept as real is what we can see, hear, smell, and touch. These four physical attributes are the primary means of all of life's experiences except the knowledge of God, which is experienced by faith through the historical witness and testimony of the risen Christ. Some people think that faith has no material foundation, because you can't see God, but uh, because you can't see God, but that idea is, total, is a total misconception and a false premise. We believe because of the factual record, the testimony of those who witnessed the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus is not seen with human eyes. He is not heard with our ears. We do not uh, smell him, although his presence can be felt at times. Perhaps that's why those charismatic people get so worked up in their meetings. Can you blame them for wanting to bask in the presence of God? Today, within the culture of of the world, beyond the church, there is a lot of talk about the use of the word ideology. In my meditations on the plight of the graduating youth of our churches, I've come to wonder if they have have adopted the idea of God without knowing God in a personal way. Someone wrote the distinctive characteristics or marks of personality are knowledge, feeling, and will. And in an entity that thinks has the capacity to formulate thoughts for articulation, feels, has emotions, and wills is a person. And let me say it again. An entity that thinks, feels, and wills is a person. All of these characteristics are attributed to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. Therefore, God is not a doctrine. He thinks, He feels, and He wills. He is God. He is Creator. He is love. Kind of interesting to me that love as a noun, I'm not a real grammar expert, but it is a... Uh, As a noun, it's person, place, or thing. And God is love. Love is the person of God. Jesus is not a doctrine. He thinks, He feels, and He wills. He is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is not a doctrine. He thinks, He feels, and He wills. Throughout the New Testament, both Jesus and the apostles consistently refer to God and the Holy Spirit with personal pronouns. This is particularly important when thinking about the Holy Spirit. He's not it, or to be thought of as just a mystical influence. Fifty years ago, a child in the womb was referred to as it, until it was born. We didn't have ultrasounds. We couldn't see what the sex the child was in the womb. So, typically, the child was referred to as it until it was born. And then, of course, we knew whether it was what its gender was. So, and uh, and sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is thought of as as an influencer, but haven't Conceived the idea of the fact that he is a person, that he uh, is the Holy Spirit, and he is a person to be acknowledged and received and accepted. The Holy Spirit is not, is not, and it, or a mystical influence. The Greek word translated doctrine is Diodecalia. I know that probably butchered the pronunciation of the word, but uh, I'm not a good English student, let alone a gr- uh, Greek student. Anyway, the word means teaching. It's found 21 times in the New Testament. The Bible is the teaching of the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The point I'm belaboring here is salvation is not to be taught or understood as a doctrine alone. It is not an ideology. It is not a philosophical viewpoint. It is a living relationship with the person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as represented throughout the Scripture. The purpose of teaching the Bible is to draw us into a relationship with God Himself whereby we know God as a Father. The idea of God cannot replace the person of God. Knowing God is more than knowing about God or about Jesus or about the Holy Spirit. It is even more than a mere profession of faith. The Bible teaches us about God, the person of God, the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm being redundant. But I have a purpose. I want this to get drilled into your thinking of, of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as, as individual persons. It also teaches us, the Bible also teaches us about ourselves and how to relate to God, how we can come to, lo- to love God, how to desire God more than disobedience. The second burr under my saddle, as a cowboy from yesteryear might say, is how to teach obedience without being legalistic. Pastor Kevin touched on this very theme last Sunday. The answers to the chafing burrs under my saddle are found in Jesus' revelation of the purpose of the Holy Spirit who he would send to take the place of Jesus' physical presence with all who would believe and accept him. The Bible teaches us to exercise our volition. We have to make a choice. We have to choose to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a choice that stands before all people of this world, So the Bible teaches us to exercise our volition to receive God, His love, His mercy, and the very faith that is required of us. And His every provision for us. I wasn't having a senior moment there. I wasn't pausing for effect. Maybe it was a senior moment. I don't know. The Christian experience of salvation is a walking around, talking relationship with God through Jesus Christ, revealed to us by the person of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the ministry of Jesus and his disciples, they demonstrated a power over all forms of sickness, disease, bodily disfigurement, and demonic activity. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, he instructed his disciples to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. After his crucifixion, just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus spoke these words to them You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The entire book of Acts demonstrates that God's power has been released in and through the disciples to empower their witness. The Apostle Paul emerges from the book of Acts as the apostle to the Gentiles proclaiming, teaching and praying that his churches would be filled with the knowledge of the exceeding greatness of God's power towards those who believe, to those who have exercised their wills to know him and his power. He declares to the church of Rome, Paul does, The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He wrote to the Corinthian church that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I think sometimes we don't know quite how to assimilate that information into a living, breathing lifestyle. And to his young protege, Pastor Timothy, Paul warned of a day which would have a form of godliness, but denying its power. For all the hoopla from the charismatic movements and their insistence on the function of the gifts The real power has frequently been glossed over and lost in all the activity. You may not know it, but I'm a Pentecostal person. I don't mind getting a little charismatic sometimes. But I'm not not trying to turn us into a charismatic church. But I'm wanting to point out something I think is essential and and specific and so easily missed. The Apostle Paul captures the clear teaching of Jesus with the simple words of Romans 5.5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit was given. It is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Eternal life is the gift of God. Grace and mercy are the gifts of God. The Holy Spirit is a gift of God. And He has come, has been dispatched to us to take the place of of the Lord Jesus Christ and come alongside of us and and, and to be our comforter and encourager, to be the the person who enlightens our understanding and our knowledge of the living God. The power of God is the love of God. I don't care how much you talk in tongues, how many demons you cast out, or or how much you can dance in this Holy Spirit. Go for it. <laughs> I, I get tickled sometimes, Pastor. We sing about dancing in the Spirit, but we don't. No one ever. Just picking on you. Um, The power of God is the love of God. All the battles in the world today revolve around hate versus love. If you'll think about that and dwell on that a moment, I think it's quite evident And we see an increase in the liberty to be hateful, to do harm to others, and to behave in a manner and in ways that are destructive to our culture and our society and our very lives. Ask yourself why. Why is it necessary for God to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit with the assignment to pour out God's love. Isn't it because we were not born with a love for God like that of our love for our earthly mothers and fathers? Does anyone have a problem with uh, the... Emotion and the feelings and the closeness that you have for your family, for your mothers, your fathers, your sisters, your brothers, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. There is an inbred, inbirth capacity for love of those around us that we are born with. But you are born with an ab with the we are born as people who are dead. We are dead people walking around until and it's important that you understand the until part of what comes later until we exercise that willful decision. To receive Christ as our sacrifice for our sins, who by that faith in His accomplished works and blessings, we are then we are then uh, are um, deemed uh, given a legal status. Our sinfulness has been dealt with, and uh, so. I was going to chase a rabbit, but I think I'll go on. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of love of God, a spiritual baptism of the man's heart, a heart saturated with God's love for his creation. Now, come on, people. Let's connect the dots. Take this journey with me. We're going to traverse through a few scriptures here. You will recognize them. You don't have to look them up but listen to them and let them penetrate your heart. So God, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't come to condemn the world. He doesn't want to to pass judgment on any living, breathing human being of any culture, of any any gender, or anything else. God so loved the world. Even after Adam and Eve broke their allegiance with Him, He promised to make a way of restoration. And Jesus is that way. Even when we were in rebellion against Him, He commended His love towards us so that we could come into that right relationship. Is it any wonder that Jesus summarized the greatest commandment of the law with these words? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. John wrote addressing this issue with those words in 1 John four eleven through 13 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been completed in us. Actually, the New King James word there is not completed. It's perfected, but it means completed. When you come when you choose when you make that when you make that choice to receive and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior his love is completed it's released in you when the holy spirit comes into you when you invite the holy spirit to baptize you with his with the love of god then and only then can the human race come to know and understand what we what we know and understand about our families we understand that love that we have for the family we understand and see it develop from uh, from childhood through adulthood it has its problems and difficulties and wranglings and what have you but nonetheless there is an element of love that is that is part and parcel of the heart of god the heart of the individual. And it is the Holy Spirit that brings that love, the love of God, into our being in order that we might know His love. Paul also teaches the Galatians the importance of the gift of the Spirit and the necessity to walk in the Spirit. As he does in Romans 8, liberating himself from his legalistic approach to obeying the law. You remember in chapter 7 of Romans that he was, was struggling with obedience to the law, but he was doing it in his own power, in a legalistic way. And this is where, this is, but he had, I'm getting off. In the, The believer, the professing Christian, must come to understand that God has met all legal requirements of the law that condemns the sinner to judgment, leaving us free to pursue the transforming might of God's love, renewing the mind to the standards of God's royal family. Fulfilling the law ceases to be a legalistic duty when our hearts are saturated with the love of God. Love compels us to want to honor our parents naturally. You don't have any trouble being proud of your children's achievements in life. From the smallest achievement, what may seem insignificant, we appreciate that. You don't have a problem in and uh, accepting that we're all born into the world without the natural inner compulsion to love god until we reach out to receive god's gift of salvation and all of its all it entails he's provided for us he's provided a way for us to return to the family of god and become a part of him and to know his His love and adoration. To pursue God's gift of love, aligning our behavior with our growing understanding of the power of His love, which removes the burr of legalism under our saddles and offers the potential for our young people to walk with God for all of their lives. Obedience becomes a growing response to the power of God's love. The more I know of of the love of God for me, the most pitiful sinner that walks the earth, but the more I grow in my understanding of God, is to grow in my understanding of, of the totality of his being love. The totality of what motivates him to, to do what he does. And it, we need to recognize this. We need to amplify it in our own personal lives, in our home lives, and in our church lives in all of our teaching and instructions, we must know and understand that, that it's what it's all about is the love of God. The entire book is a representation of tremendous efforts that God has made to reveal our love, to reveal His love to us and to make His love Available to us. As you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament didn't have the Holy Spirit as we do today. But God was at work through the chosen people of Israel to bring about the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then in turn to provide this gift of the Holy Spirit. So, Making Jesus real may be an an audacious goal for a 40-minute teaching, but my hope is that Jesus becomes more real to you every day. I pray that you will seek the baptism of the love of God by the Holy Spirit. So I appreciate your attention tonight. And I, I hope that you will seek not once not twice but daily the presence of god's love invite the holy spirit john or paul says paul says that's his responsibility one of them so then if god wants us to have that understanding and to have His presence in our lives, then we need to, we need to reach out for it, accept Him, acknowledge it, and, and ask God to help us as Paul did repeatedly for all the churches that he, he uh, formed for understanding and knowledge. God is an infinite God. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. We are not all-knowing. Although at certain stages in life we think we know it all. Just ask any seventeen-year old. <laughs> you can ask some preachers too. <laughs> Maybe at a time I thought I knew it all, and <clears throat> never. So we need to seek it. We need to seek Him, not it. Seek Him because He wants to fill you with the love and the presence of God. Father, we love You. Jesus, we love You. Holy Spirit, we love You. And I pray, Father, that You will release an abundance of the knowledge of Your your love, your power for all of us. May we learn to grow in not just to have it, but to grow and apply the love of God to all of the decisions of our life. May we become motivated like Jesus who sacrificed his entire being in order that we might be found, delivered from the judgment that was sure to come to us as sinners. Help us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts and fill us with the power of God's love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention And putting up with an old man and his whatever.